Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. No doubt there is a fascination in this country about the meals, the last meals of death row inmates. And uh, somebody's taking it a step further and looking into it. Yeah, we had found out just a little while ago that our next guest, Joshua Slavin, had made made bones on the Internet by uh, recreating the meals, the last meals of death row inmates and joins us now to do a little talking about it. Joshua, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Absolutely. And I, I guess the obvious first question is, why? <laughs> How did this idea even land on you uh, as a as an influencer to go back into the world of death row inmates' last meals? Yeah, I definitely uh, agree. It's pretty unique subject matter. Um, and I think myself and kind of a lot of other people, at least in my experience, have a little bit of a natural morbid curiosity. Um, and one of the things that initially set me off was just scrolling through social media seeing one of these final meals that would look a little bit funky. Like there's been some crazy ones, whether it be like a lump of dirt or an individual honey bun or a bag of Jolly Ranchers. And I just kind of wanted to dig down those rabbit holes. And I guess I've just continued digging. Um, okay. Before we go further into this, tell us a little bit about your background. Are you a chef? Are you, what would make you uh, get to this point of, of taking this route to look further into it? Yeah. So I wouldn't consider myself a chef. Um, I think I'm more of a foodie. I'm, I'm interested in all things food. Um, and I think this is also a series that kind of hits on some of my other interests as well, whether it be true crime or history. Um, so it, I guess I like to just make content about things that naturally interest me and I enjoy doing. And this has checked all the boxes for me. Now, when we get into some of the last meals, like you said, I mean, some of them are really bizarre, like the you know, the Jolly Ranchers and the Lump of Dirt and all of that. But what always got to me was the fact that sometimes you would see death row inmates order for their last meal this incredible spread with 13 different items on it. And then other guys would say, eh, no, no, bring me some macaroni and cheese and we'll call it a day. Yeah, totally. And that, that's one of the interesting things, seeing how wide the spectrum spans. You have some people that are ordering like meals with quite literally dozens of dishes. And then, you know, some people are satisfied with a cup of coffee. Uh, so it's, it's, that's always one of the interesting dynamics that I like to uh, kind of look into when I'm making these meals. Okay, I want to talk about the ingredients, like the actual process of finding out exactly what they ate. There are a lot of lists online about the last meals of death row inmates, but exactly what they ate. And if there were any ingredients that you had a hard time finding. 
Yeah, so because a lot of these are uh, a matter of public record, I can find them pretty easily online. There's not really a great unified source that has all of them, but through research, uh, you you can generally find these if you want. Um, But some of these have had definitely uh, ingredients that are either kind of tough to get or are just kind of like infeasible. There's one meal that I'm planning to make, and I think it's like, eight containers of Parmesan cheese, eight, eight ounce <laughs> containers of Parmesan cheese. Wow. And like, I could do that, but I don't think I'm going to be consuming that amount of Parmesan cheese anytime soon. So just buying all of that for a video seems at least right now, a little bit silly. Maybe I'll buy some in the future and just donate everything. Um, but one ingredient that I wasn't really familiar with, and I guess I'm still not super familiar with was the lump of dirt. He requested specifically Riacunda dirt. James Edward Smith did. And I don't, really know what Riacunda dirt is, other than the fact that it's used for a voodoo reincarnation ritual. Oh, so that's, yeah, that maybe was why he ordered that up. He was hoping to come back as maybe somebody better. Yeah, yeah. So, and it, well, he was I, not granted that. Good, so, good. Well, and I, I was also curious, you know, to look at the other side of this. I mean, we've talked a lot about the food side. What about the crime side? I mean, have does it make a difference to you what it was that got somebody onto death row in the first place when you recreate one of these meals. And are you somebody who has a fascination with that anyway? I mean, do you read a lot of true crime books? Did you know a lot about these killers? Because that's what gets you onto death row before you started this down this path. Yeah, so I think the crime in the food, or at least one of the things that interests me, is the link between the two. I think with a lot of these cases, the backgrounds kind of inform what the meal is going to be. If you look at... Uh, John Wayne Gacy, he managed KFC uh, restaurants in his past, and he ordered KFC for his final meal. Uh, there's been some Southern feasts from people that grew up in the South. Um, and there, I, I don't know if I've seen any meals that particularly link the food to the crime, um, but I, I'd say that it's just a, a variety of factors that I look at when I'm deciding what kind of meals to make. I think there's a lot of reasons, or at least in my mind, why that makes the videos entertaining and fun to make. And I think it's just kind of a confluence of everything between whether the meal is particularly interesting or I guess the circumstances that led up to them choosing the final meal before they die. Um, But yeah, I wouldn't say there's any particular thing I look for, just everything together, whether I, I think that's interesting or something that deserves to be shared. How much of the meals did you eat? So I always make sure to eat pretty much all of the meals, uh, unless like, there's something particularly disgusting. Uh, sometimes these meals cost me over $100. So I just kind of look at it as my grocery shopping. Like I made one meal where I had to cook up like four or five pounds of ground beef. So I was eating ground beef for the next week or so. Um, so, yeah, it, it gets a little bit repetitive eating, I guess, final meal leftovers. But it's my grocery shopping, so it works out. So, so far, all right, so yeah, the leftovers are okay in this. That's another thing that I was going to ask about is if you do this all over time. So it's good to know that that you do, you don't have to pack your stomach full of five pounds of ground beef and five bottles of of Parmesan cheese. But, uh, you know, I I also wonder, um, well, let's talk about the meals that you've enjoyed the most and the ones that that haven't really come up to your tastes. Uh, Who in your mind as a death row inmate, had the best taste in food. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the point of the series, or one of the, the nuances that I look at. I rank every single meal I try, so I look at them all relative to each other. And right now, my first place meal is that of Alton Coleman. And I think the factors for me that go into like a really, really solid meal 
is general quantity. So just making sure that you're not limited. If you want more food for your final meal, it will always be there. So quantity, I really like variety, getting a nice kind of array of different flavors and textures and experiences. And then I kind of like the synergy between all of the dishes. And I think Alton Coleman, he had like a true Southern feast. A lot of these dishes that are, you know, traditional to the South, cornbread, collard greens, things like that. So I think everything kind of meshed together well, and it was just a really great unified experience. But on the other side of things, um, some of the meals that sit lower on my list aren't necessarily bad foods, but for a final meal request, it's a little bit lackluster in my opinion. Timothy McVeigh requested, I think it was two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Me personally, it's a little bit controversial, but I'm not a huge mint chocolate chip ice cream fan. And even (laughs) if I was, just choosing one singular dish for your final meal, uh, it's it's a squandered opportunity. In all seriousness for a second, uh, some states have decided to no longer do the last meal for death row inmates. It's a waste of money. You had too too many inmates that would ask for too much food and then not eat any of it. Having done all of this, do you have any opinion on whether it's good that they have that or go ahead and take it away? Yeah, so I, I think it's interesting, the, the, particularly in Texas. Texas used to be one of the states that was the most accommodating for final meal requests. But in about 2011, come Lawrence Russell Brewer, he ordered one of the largest final meals that I've seen. Um, But as soon as he got it, he said, "Ah, I'm not hungry and didn't eat anything. So that was kind of a slap in the face to the system. And Texas from then on outlawed, not outlawed, but just discontinued uh, accommodating final meal requests. So, you know, I don't know if I'm in a position to say whether it's right or wrong Um, But I think one of the main reasons, at least according to my research in the past, was the reason that the final meal is in place is to kind of show that when our system is putting these people to death, we are different than the the people that have committed these um, atrocious crimes. Um, So I guess it's just adding some humanity to the situation. But, you know, I just try to tell the stories, explain what happened and keep the only the only. uh, my only thoughts that I like to share is whether I'm interested in the quality of the food or not and where that kind of ranks. Got it. Okay, and that makes a lot of sense. And we've got to tell people, first of all, how to find all of this. If they want to follow you and see some of the previous episodes where you've done this and recreated some of these last meals, where do they go? So you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, or TikTok. If you just Google my name, Joshua Slavin, uh, those accounts should come up. And the videos are going to be posted across all three. And the other thing is, I know you just recently graduated college. Uh, You went to Washington University in St. Louis, so did your time over on Skinker Boulevard. Uh, What are you going to do now? So right now I am working a full-time job. Uh, I'm supposed to be working right now, so don't tell anyone. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. um, I'm working a full-time job in finance, uh, and I'm working out in the D.C. area. Um, Enjoying it, learning a lot. Um, and I'm also just spending whatever time I'm not doing in work, uh, just focusing on making more videos. It's something I really enjoy, and I'm planning to continue this for a long, long time. So that's kind of what my life looks like right now. I have to ask before we let you go, so what would your last meal be, having done all this? So I'll use this as a marketing opportunity. At the end of this series, I will be providing, in my mind, what I believe to be the best ultimate last meal because like i said some of these some of these rankings are a little bit subjective if i don't like olives 
a meal with a lot of olives is not going very high on my list. Sure. Sorry. So I think I'm going to cap the series off with saying I've shown you everyone else's meal where that sits in my mind. But if you want to, if you want to see what the ultimate final meal looks like to me, this is it. Can, can you give us just one, one thing that you think might be part of yours? I mean, I'm a huge Neapolitan pizza fan. A few years ago, I spent oh. a lot of money on like a electric oven that gets up to 750 degrees. So I've, I've made investments in the Neapolitan pizza game. So I think I would definitely uh, do at least a Neapolitan pizza. But like I said, I'm a quantity guy too. So it's not just going to be that. <laughs> There's going to be a lot there. All right. We'll be looking forward to it. We'll see you on the socials, on Instagram and everywhere else. And Joshua Slavin, what a pleasure. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your time. You appreciate it. it. Take care. Good luck. We appreciate it. All right, coming up, I learned a new term this week. What is rat snacking? And what is your version of it at home? We'll get to that coming up on KMBZ. Phone number here, 913-586-7798. Okay, I had never heard the term rat snacker before. But we were talking yesterday about the ability to, like, just pull stuff together in your kitchen and make meals out of it. Yeah. Kind of the same idea, except with snacks. Yes, and, and snacks that you normally wouldn't put together. Things that, you know, when, when you tell people, I ate this and this together, they would look at you like, what happened to you that, that mm-hmm. led you to do that? Uh, I mean, they talk about one girl who was putting chili sauce on top of cauliflower, which my wife is the, the world's number one hater of cauliflower, so she would never, ever do that. But uh, another girl made a video of her eating potato chips she's british so she calls them crisps but she's eating potato chips with chocolate on them okay um give us yours what's the this feels like a college thing yes this this feels like the thing that you did in college to just exist and survive in the world (laughs) all the things you can do with ramen noodles right like this feels like the just need to have food I, I am told, I have never tried it myself, but I am told by a very good friend uh, during college that Slim Jims and peanut butter work. Now, I'm, yeah, I, I'm Why not a, can't you just leave the Slim Jim alone? <laughs> it's a snack in its own. Yeah, but I mean, if you want a little bit of extra and all you have left in the cupboard is a pack of Slim Jims and a jar of peanut butter, then, you know, you do weird things. Peanut butter is the go-to. Peanut butter. Let me say that you can put so much goes with peanut butter. I I did the apple slices and do I cut up the apple and and eat that. That was my go to. That's and I'll I'll go even a step farther than that and say Nutella. Although Uh I mean for college food that's a little expensive. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe maybe cheap peanut butter is the better way to go. You know, not to say well I okay I did do this. Just eat peanut butter by the spoonful. Oh yeah. I could just eat peanut butter out of the jar. Yeah. That was that was a a snack. That that was one of those under the radar Atkins things when the low carb dieting first started. That people were just grabbing a spoon and because then you get you get a little bit of protein in it too. And if you use chunky or crunchy peanut butter, then yeah, even better because you got a little something to chew on there. Okay, don't just make stuff up. For those of you on the text line, don't just make up two things that, you, you know, that you just think might be in your kitchen. Yeah. What do you actually, and it doesn't have to be totally strange, it's just what are the things that you put together when you don't have a bag of chips available? One of the ones that always gets me looked sideways upon, which is terrible sentence construction, but you know what I mean, is maple syrup in milk. 
She, right now, Colin's looking at me like, what? I did think about that a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I would try that. It's awesome. It's I really great. That. We and we would give it to the kids if they had a sore throat uh, when they were little. You know, if they were if okay. they had a sore throat, we give them a, you know a little bit. And if it's not really cold, you know, not warm, but just kind of somewhere in the middle, like lukewarm, and you yeah. mix maple syrup into it, it, it would make their throat feel better. So they were always asking for their magic milk. <laughs> Something's I got to think about a little bit. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I would do that. I don't because now you got me thinking about what do I have? I don't have maple syrup. It's something I never eat, but I have honey. That'd probably work. Probably work the same way, you know, especially if your milk is warm. My concern would be mixing that. That it wouldn't mix well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah honey's a little thicker, so that yeah. might be a problem. But, yeah, with maple syrup, it works really well. Um, oh, somebody else said, yeah, as far as peanut butter goes, peanut butter on a waffle. Yes. I cannot agree with that enough. That's awesome. Yeah. We don't talk about waffles enough. We don't talk about the waffle maker enough. As being a tool in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, another one came in, saltines. Saltines are a great vehicle. And somebody mm-hmm. said with peanut butter and horseradish, which sounds heinous, but I would do that. Uh, I I love that horseradish kick to anything. I never thought about mixing it with peanut butter, but now I'm going to. All right, we can go to the phones and you all can describe these yourself. About <laughs> <laughs> Scott in Kansas City. Hello, Scott. Hey, what's going on, guys? No much. Hi. What do you got for us? Barbecue chips and mustard. Really? Uh, well, you absolutely know, love it. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- there are people who put mustard on barbecue, so yeah, I guess right. that that makes sense. Uh, now, did your do your friends are they okay with you doing that? Or <laughs> uh, they look at me like I'm weird. I'm also the weirdo that puts mustard on your pizza too. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, drop the call. <laughs> Come on, drop Jamie. Jamie's done. Thanks, so, Scott. Appreciate nope. it, buddy. Not, done, not done doing mustard that. on the pizza, huh? Why? What? How does that improve pizza? Are you just doing it because it's, you know, there's a scheme in that? Or does it actually make the pizza better? Some people really like mustard. I mean, I'm, I, a, I'm among them. I, I like yeah, mustard. I, I'm a fan, and, and I used to hate it when I was a kid. Oh, I wouldn't get near mustard. But now, uh, we also, Jen, because she loves me, got a jar of Weber's horseradish mustard over the holidays and, okay. and a jar of Weber's horseradish sauce. Oh, and I'll tell you what, that stuff, yeah, there, there's nothing you can put that on that's going to make me hate you. I have so many questions from what's coming on the text line. Somebody said ramen, fake crab, and Cajun seasoning. Who just has fake crab at home? Um, Who, what do you, what's your, what's the use for having that at home? Why I don't do you I buy mean, that. I've seen it in the grocery store. They, it's like Me in these, the little frozen packages, but. But why? Yeah. Um, yeah. Ramen's one of those funny things that I, I, I've never put. I mean, I guess you could. Uh, there are restaurants that do it, but I've never put any like added protein in there you know putting chicken in ramen or putting ground beef in ramen you could easily do it yeah um let's uh get to candace's call real fast and then we'll hi candace i just have to let everybody know about wavy potato chips and jelly (laughs) did you really have to let everybody know about that candace Yes, I did. And this came from one day when I was a small child and I had jelly oozing out of my peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I hated that. So I scraped it off with a potato chip and it was like a whole new world. It just opened up to you. Now, what it did. What, what flavor jelly do you prefer? Well, I will do anything other than grape. I think grape jelly is like 
the Provel cheese of chili. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if people like grapes, go for it. But it has to be a wavy potato chip. That is the key. Yeah, you got to hold on to the jelly. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, yeah, I tried it with the flat kind. It does not work. So wavy chips and any jelly of your choice. Love it. Candace, thanks. Yeah, sweet and salty, that works for whatever reason. We, we just tend to love that more and more, especially as we get older. We have to get to a break. We have a ton of these coming in. We're going to have to talk about pickles because that's in three-fourths of the messages that we're getting. We'll get to all that coming up here on KMBZ. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> I don't like the term rat snacking. Uh, we, we need another term for it. I, it, I don't have one. It doesn't one, sound terribly flattering. That. that sounds like something you would call somebody you don't like. Yeah, you're a big rat snacker. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I get where they're going because they rats will eat anything. They don't care right. what it is or what it tastes like. So as long as you're just there munching, you're all good. Let's see what John and Shawnee's using for his rat snack. Hey, John. Well, we do, we take uh, the canned smoked oysters and, and mustard oil, put them with the Smucker's Goober grape on uh, crackers and eat them. That's a lot mustard going oil. on. <laughs> so you do mustard and jelly together. Yeah, the mustard oil on the smoked oysters, on the canned smoked oysters. Uh-huh. And you have that with the grape, the grape jelly and peanut butter that's mixed together already in the jar. Wow. On a cracker. You get your sweet, you get your protein, you get your little crunchy with the cracker. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're selling it well. All right, John, thank you. We need to pull that audio and use that in the future. That was awesome. <laughs> he's, that was he's been watching some Food Network, I can tell. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because that's the kind of stuff. Again, that's the kind of thing that they would do on Chopped. Yes. You know the show Chopped? That's where they give them the basket of four ingredients that in no universe belong together and say, make a thing. Yeah, you know, what I would love, I saw this on one of those Food Network shows probably about four or five years ago, and they were talking about... It's kind of akin to the molecular gastronomy thing, but not really. What they were doing is they were having the flavor molecules of different foods analyzed to try to figure out what would go well together. 
Okay. And what wouldn't? And you think you know until somebody comes up with something and they go, yeah, I eat this with this. And you go, oh, that sounds gross. And then you try it and find out, no, there really is something good there. Um, so they they built this computer program that if you told it four or five different foods, it would tell you which ones would pair well and which ones you should never eat together because the flavors will, will clash. And okay. I'd, I'd love to be able to do that and just get a list of like every food and everything that it would go with. Well, boy, it's really starting to snow, by the way. Um, yeah, but e- everything that it would go with and find the ones that that you would never think to put together and then just see what it is that would make them work well. It does make you wonder for everyone texting in, and we have so many, I can't even keep up with all the ones that are coming in. How did you first stumble upon that? What were you eating and what had you been drinking that made you (laughs) grab the grape jelly for inspiration? Uh, Why is everything involved pickles? Yeah, oh, pickles are coming in a ton. Even Sam Stevie, uh, who is a big pickle fan, I know he has one every single day when he comes in here and sits down at noon. Uh, that, you know, he texted in about pickles going well with different things. Uh, we saw one on our online chat that was pickles wrapped in bologna, which if you think about it, that's not that far out because you would put a pickle on a bologna sandwich. Okay, so um, one of the appetizers in my family, and I don't know where this came from, but it's just always been a thing in my family. Um, my aunt does, she calls them pickle wraps. And so long pickle spears placed on chip beef is what we call it. Yeah. Like the, the budding, dark-looking beef sandwich meat product. <laughs> put a layer of cream cheese on the beef, put the pickle there, and then wrap it. Yeah. And then put it in the fridge so it gets cold, and then you slice it into a little. That's kind of what we're... That's kind of the idea. Yeah, same thing. And, and, you know, how many different sandwiches would you put a pickle spear on that, right. you know, that it would work? So the, uh, there are some things, though, that I can imagine that really salty, briny, pickly flavor not working well with at all. Um, I don't know that that goes well with sweet. That It feels like a stretch. Yeah. At that point, just eat a pickle. <laughs> or eat a sweet pickle, I guess. Let's go to Stephen Olathe and see what he's thinking. Hey, Steve. Hey, I've got my favorite sandwich. Everybody thinks it's gross, but once you taste it, my children went, ooh, Dad, it's a peanut butter sandwich with tuna salad. Ooh. Okay. You, lose, that one for yeah, you, you lose me at mayonnaise, but um, yeah, I mean, that kind of challenges my peanut butter goes with anything theme. How did, how did you, well, to Jamie's point, what was it that made you try that the first time? Uh, back in college. Poor. Yeah. No money. <laughs> what have we got left to eat? What's in the refrigerator? Right. All right. Steve, thanks. I bet that's how a lot of these things happen is it's just like, okay, yeah, it may sound gross, but I'm going to try it anyway because I just need to eat something. Why can't you just eat tuna salad by on its own, though? Some of you are taking things that stand very, and I'm a tuna salad fan. I grew up on it. Yeah. You're taking things that stand very well on their own, like the Slim Jim, and messing it up with other stuff. Yeah. Why can't we just well, have tuna salad? We used to eat uh, peanut butter, like toasted peanut butter sandwiches with, I bacon, love that. with bacon on them. Uh-huh. 
And uh-huh. uh, so, again, mixing the protein, even something salty like bacon, that works. That seems to work really well with peanut butter because they're dry roasted peanuts. So they've got a little mm-hmm. bit of that you know, same kind of flavor profile going anyway. But when you mix something creamy in there, like fluffernutters, I, I will not do a fluffernutter. I don't like marshmallows anyway. <laughs> but, but still, that just to me, that looks like a nightmare. And it's from Boston, which doesn't recommend it either. Remind me, it's marshmallow. Marshmallow fluff and peanut butter on a sandwich. And just white bread? Yep. That's a lot of sweet. Wonder bread specifically. Like okay. it's it's the the just kid foodist, you know, softest <laughs> white bread in the entire world. <laughs> okay. Thanks to everybody for texting in. Wow. Uh, did you get a lot of these in here? Uh, well, we have a couple of minutes here. Um, I don't know why this surprised me so much. There are some chain restaurants that I feel like have figured it out. And are, and are getting it right. Um, when I did my drive to Illinois, I need to finish it, but I'm listening to um, the story of Texas Roadhouse. Oh, yeah. It is fascinating. It's I'm, I'm three-fourths of the way through, and I need to finish it because that is one of those chains. In fact, I think Vox.com did a story about it recently, and you and I talked about it. Uh, that's one of those chains that people just live by and love, and it's, it's incredible to, to hear about that story. I sort of figured TGI Fridays was in the group of restaurants that was kind of bulletproof, but apparently not. No, and they're starting to close locations. Now, I don't know if this is just a a streamlining or if this portends trouble in the water for TGI Fridays. It's funny because in that fast casual realm, it's seen a couple of different iterations. And some of the ones that were in that same category with TGI Fridays have fallen by the wayside. Like, you don't see a lot of Ruby Tuesdays anymore. You're right. You don't Mm -hmm. see, I mean, Applebee's is kind of in that same space, sort of, and they seem to be doing fine. But I guess sometimes those concepts just get a little old. So what I always, somebody correct me. There's a TGI Fridays, and Ruby Tuesdays is also a good example, in the mall in the town where I grew up. TGI Fridays, I feel like, at one point was in every mall. Yeah. Which maybe is the problem. And it was because it's a crowd pleaser and kids like it. And what I remember about it was the fancy drinks. I was going to say, and mom and dad can drink while the kids, while the kids are sitting there getting a milkshake, mom and dad are getting something from the bar. But it's like grasshoppers and Brandy Alexander's and these big boozy ice cream, sweet things that I won't touch anymore. It was just kind of known for that. And nobody disliked it. Not everybody yeah. loved it, but nobody disliked it. Yeah, and the burgers were good. You know, they were yeah. better than average, and everything on the menu was was geared toward that. Um, you know, the, just the, the the really, I mean, the the casual, the most casual end of fast casual. There wasn't anything. I mean, there's a lot of wings, a lot of burgers, a lot of the, you know that sort of thing, and so that food hasn't gone out of style. It's not a matter of it. You know, it's just the concept itself, I guess, that people are saying, uh, TGI Fridays, it's kind of kitsch. It's that's what mom and dad used to do. They didn't list which locations would be shutting down, but a WFAA got a hold of a list, apparently. Um, New Jersey's got the most closures with seven, followed by Massachusetts with six, and then they're kind of all over the place. Somebody mm-hmm. said they already left Kansas City a while ago. The TGI Fridays, what I know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and and even in markets where they're still there, I don't know how well they're doing. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it doesn't It doesn't seem like there's anything that would be off-putting about going to TGI Fridays for dinner. No, but again, maybe with malls closing. Yeah. You know, then their foot traffic uh, doesn't quite stick around. 
this may be a weird transition to make, um, but I, I, so I started last night. Uh, there's a new movie out about the um, the team from Uruguay that crashed in the Andes in the early 1970s, that oh, yeah. plane crash there. There's a new movie out about it, but halfway through it, a lot's being written about it. And I'm just kind of curious, do we really need to know more about the cannibalism part? And some of you are gonna be Googling this now during the break the cannibalism part of this story, because the new movie really focuses on that. We'll talk more about it coming up next on KMBZ. 913-586-7798. Um, all right, so Colin and I were talking about this a little bit off the air too, about the fascination with the, um, and Jeffrey Dahmer is a good example of this also, but the cannibalism part of the story of the Uruguayan soccer team that crashed in 1972 in the Andes Mountains. Some of you may not know this story <laughs> because it, it, the original movie came out in 1993. Alive, right? Alive, yeah, with Ethan Hawke. Um, some of you may not know the story, but it was a Uruguayan soccer team that was going from, I cannot think of where in Argentina they were, they were coming from, but they were headed to Chile. And in order to do that, they had to fly over the Andes Mountains in a small plane. And they couldn't go up over the mountains, it was too high. And so what they were supposed to do was fly through like a cut like a mountain in, pass. in the Andes Mountains yeah. Pass. That's a much better word for it, thank you. And the pilot missed it. The pilot turned too early and didn't make that, didn't make that pass and the plane crashed. And the story now um, that Alive focuses on and that this new movie focuses on too is how that soccer team um, over time, how they survived, some of them, in what was left of their plane in the Andes Mountains, and I'm going to ruin this for you, two of them eventually go and get help and they're saved. One of the ways that they stayed, stayed alive was through cannibalism. And it was one of the things that at the time, they were a little more reluctant to talk. It's, it's just kind of a weird thing that we don't hear about. The movie with Ethan Hawke was a really big deal. So there's a new movie out about it called Society of the Snow. And in fact, I think yesterday was the first day that you could watch it on Netflix. It is in Spanish. It's it's dubbed in English and there are subtitles to it, but it is in Spanish. I got about halfway through it last night and that was about the most I could do in one sitting. Okay. And then I said, I'll have to finish this this weekend. Was it specifically because of that, because of the focus on cannibalism or was there more to it that made it a kind of a slog? Um, so I have to... It's just a very heavy story. Sure. You know, yeah, it's plane just crash a, stories generally are not happy-go-lucky sorts of things, right? So, yeah, that makes sense. And visually really impactful, um, which, of course, again, it's a plane crash. But And again, I'm going to ruin some of this for you, so turn it up. Come back in a minute if you don't like it. But the cinematography in this version is incredible. I don't, I don't know the – I don't have the words for it, but it's um, – the crash itself, that scene is much more drawn out than in Alive. And it just is much more vivid and, and drags on for a while and just is incredible to watch. And maybe just because cinematography has come a long way since 1993, the visual of them being out there and the faces and how their, their eyes get dark and, you know, the, um, uh, what do you call it, frostbitten, like your lips yes. are frostbitten. All of right. that to keep looking at that gets, gets a lot to have to look at for a while. This version of the movie focuses on the cannibalism a lot more than Alive does, and it's talked about. This is more of an ensemble cast. There's not a star in this movie. Ethan Hawke was the star of the first one. It's not like that in this one. My understanding is that this version also, I keep calling it version, I shouldn't say that, um, but this movie focuses more on the rescue than the first one does. 
in the first one they get rescued and then it's done the second one focuses more on how that happened oh wow okay yeah, see, I'd be interested. I never watched a live. I know of it. Oh, really? And I, okay. I remember it being a big deal when it came out. But Sorry, I, I never... I, then you oh, no, no, had no clue what I was just talking about. <laughs> no, no. I, I, well, I, like I said, I knew what the story was. So uh, it, it was fine. I just never watched the movie. So I didn't know how much time they spent in the original. <laughs> there I go, the original. I don't know how much time they spent in a live on you know, what it took to survive, including the cannibalism part. Uh, but... Yeah, it, it, it's just more prevalent in this one. They just refer to it more. Or you see more of it or what? You get more. Um, this compared to Alive, this movie focuses on different characters, different, not characters, different people, real people that we didn't know about in Alive, including there was one person in particular that really, really struggled with that decision. It gets more into how they made the decision to do it. Okay. In Alive, you see that they struggled with it, but they ultimately decided we have to eat, our bodies need food. In this movie, in Society of the Snow, they spend a lot of time about the religious part of it. Someone asked, is it legal? Which you never hear about in Alive. That sure. was never a question. Just all these things that, that were probably discussed. It's almost like it was less afraid of that as a topic in the movie than Alive was. Okay. Um, yeah, it, because if it focuses on the rescue itself and what it took, because I know it was not easy for them, even after they, because nobody really knew, right? It was 1972. 1972, so, yeah. So, uh, it was, the, I mean, the first thing they had to do was let somebody know there's a plane crash up there. This is where they are. Um, but yeah, I'd be interested to, to see that piece of it, to know how much of a, how much of a trial the rescuers faced getting up there and not ending up in trouble themselves. Yeah, my understanding is that, I mean, in the first, in, in Alive, it just ends with the plane there and, and rescuing them. In this one, my understanding, because I haven't gotten there yet, is you see the rescue. You see the days of the rescue. Okay. It also, I think, is more factually correct in terms of how it happened. Alive took a few liberties with how it happened, and I won't ruin it for you, but my understanding is that in this one, it's more accurate. Is it is somebody on the text line was wondering, is it shot in a kind of a documentary style or is it still just a, a, a movie? It's it's a movie. OK, it is not. There's a lot of voiceover, which helps with some of the backstory. Um, but it is it is like a movie. And, yeah. And is it just a movie? How long is it? Two and a half hours. OK, so two and a half. It's, it's not a limited series. It's a movie. Nope. OK, it's two and a half hours. Yeah. But I would if you're curious about the story. I, I am fascinated by that story. I think I'm fascinated by rescue stories and I've been to Chile. And so I'm, I'm curious about that too. They apparently went to the crash site as part of the filming. Um, I thought I was going to be bugged by the fact that it had to be dubbed in English. I didn't, it didn't bother me at all. I didn't, I didn't care, but I'm just, I think I'm just curious that this is still a story that we are fascinated by. Yeah. That this many years later, we're still interested. In a weird way, I think part of the reason for that is that it's the same thing that we talked about with the last meals. Why we're fascinated with the last meal, because we, we don't get to choose, you know. And with with a story like this revolving around cannibalism, it's something that we think there is no way I would ever do that ever. It's It's just this ingrained taboo in our heads. But when you have to survive, when there is no other choice, it's do this or die that when faced with that choice, it's the one imponderable. We're never going to know the answer to that. We're never going to be faced with eat another human being's dead body or die yourself. 
But if so, we don't know what our answer would be because there's no way to put yourself in that. In this movie, you see more of what it looked like. Yeah. Of what the meat looked like and how and how they how they ate it, what what best how that went the best and who was responsible for making the decision about who they were going to have as a source. Yeah. First. Okay. It's weirdly fascinating. It's just weirdly interesting the lengths that that people will go to to save themselves. Sure. And it's, you know? I mean, at some point, it's got to get almost Lord of the Flies like, you know, that there you're going to have to have some kind of de facto government set up, you know, to to be able to make those kinds of decisions. How do you remember how long they were up there? I was just looking for that. I can't remember either. Um, and it's not in the description that I have. I want. Was it two months? Was it that long? Wow. Um, I'm trying to put weather in my head. Like they wanted to wait for some of the snow to melt. They wanted to wait until the conditions improved so that, because it's not like they had mountain climbing gear sure, and you, <laughs> to and be you, able to go climb mountains. And you don't want the guys who are going to go get you rescued to end up dead themselves because they couldn't make it down the mountain. Uh, forgive me. Somebody said it was rugby, not soccer. In my head, I, I, some of the sports are, you have to remember what the terms are. <laughs> I wouldn't well, do a story if somebody it, didn't correct it, me on it. It makes a difference, Jamie. I mean, rugby players would do something like that. Soccer players would never. <laughs> right. Okay, All right. Sure. Uh, coming up, um, another shortage of construction workers to talk about with a bunch of projects ongoing. We'll get to that coming up on KMBZ. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.